You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen, amen. Well, man, it's so good to see you guys this morning. Thank you for joining the family. Um, man, I have received a lot of gifts in my life. Um, but the man who is about to come and share with us, he was here on our, uh, our 10-year anniversary as a church back in February. His name is Dave Gilmore, and this man is one of the most significant gifts I've ever received in my life. Yeah, he's been there for me through um, good and troubled times, um, and he is very wise. He's become my mentor, and I'm just going to keep building him up and building him up so that <laughs> he has a long fall here in a second. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, um, you know, he, uh, Dave, Dave has uh, become uh, family to me and a spiritual father, and uh, he is the district superintendent for our denomination, Christian Missionary Alliance. He's over, he oversees and helps all the churches in Southern California and parts of Arizona. And um, so would you please welcome Dave Gilmore. Okay, did I get that on? Okay, good. Um, <clears throat> wow, you build it up, so now y'all are going to be really disappointed. Um, we're going to go to Luke this morning, Luke chapter 18, as we talk about prayer. Prayer is so significant uh, in my own walk and my own journey. I got to tell you about Pastor Jason and Kim. They're like my own kids. As um, I was asked, I was pastoring out near Palm Springs in Cathedral City. Uh, and actually, this was one of three churches when I was looking for a church. I was back in uh, Nebraska, my role had ended. And I was talking with the former district superintendent, Bill Malik, in 2012, and he goes, well, I have Manhattan Beach, I've got one in Redlands, and then one in Cathedral City. I'm like, Cathedral City, where's that? And I'm like, Manhattan Beach, that looks pretty cool. And I found out the cost of living there. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> and then by the time I got to, he was like, oh, Redlands and Manhattan Beach are off the table. I got those filled. All you got is, and I'm like, oh, the desert, okay, whatever. So... We went there, and uh, my wife and I were in the uh, Cathedral City Church for nine years, from 2012 until elected to this uh, almost two years ago. But in 2015, it was November of 2015, we had just uh, moved in the very first Sunday in the building that we built out in Cathedral City. Um, that evening, I came over here and was a part of this group uh, in a unique meeting uh, that removed one of the pastors. Uh, and established Jason. The church had two pastors on staff and wasn't large enough to pay for those. Uh, and so the district had been funding that and was like, we don't have any more money. And so it was a, a very difficult evening, to say the less. And I sat there in, in over here, I think, and I remember uh, hearing the tension in the room and whatnot as they loved their pastor, but they didn't, how are they going to pay for it? And thinking, man, I sure am glad I'm not the DS. <laughs> And here I am. I'm glad that I'm in this role with, uh, I love Teresa, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And as I, as I have known that verse for many years, it comes out of Nehemiah. And the joy of the Lord is our strength, but remember not to confuse joy with happy. Happy is based on external stuff. Joy is based on the internal. 
relationship with the Father. And so the joy can be present in the midst of chaos external. That's the sermonette. Let's get to Luke 18. <laughs> All right, I need to pray. Father, um, I'm grateful to be with your kids. I'm also grateful that you left us your word. And it's not up to me to figure out what to say. It's your word. And so we just ask the Holy Spirit to fill this room. Give us ears to hear what it is you're saying. And then give us the courage if we need to make adjustments. To you be the glory. Amen. Okay, these old eyes need glasses, so let's go to uh, Luke chapter 18. Interesting thing, a couple days ago when Pastor Jason called and said, hey, I got this situation, it kind of came up, you, you think you could preach this? Sunday? Like, yeah, absolutely. I hung up and go, yeah, I know what I'm preaching on. And then I was five miles from here, and I felt like the Lord was saying, I need you to do Luke 18. I'm like, are you sure? It's kind of late in the game. <laughs> and he goes, you know, the Spirit of God is so sweet. He goes, you should have listened two days ago. Okay, that's on me. <laughs> So it's not that the Holy Spirit was slow to speak. Sometimes I will admit I'm slow to listen. So on Luke 18, the Lord is still faithful to that. So we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 8. I'm reading out of the ESV. So if it isn't what you have, that's okay. Just close your eyes and listen, but don't fall asleep. <clears throat> and he told them, Jesus is speaking, and he told them a parable to the effect they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. I'm just going to pause. Okay, I told you I was going to read that. Yes, don't always believe everything I say. But I just got to stop there because the point of this parable, don't miss this point. He's telling this story because he's fully aware that sometimes when we're praying, we just, we lose heart. We give up. Do you know what it is to lose heart? It's like, your favorite college football team is Nebraska, and after 20 years of losing, you go like, yeah, they're just whatever. You lose heart. <laughs> you pray for something, and you, you lose heart. Because it's like, I don't think God is listening. I don't think he's paying attention. I don't think he hears me. Whatever. Okay, so that's the purpose of why he's telling this story. He told this parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, he refused. But afterward, he said, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she does not beat me down with her continual coming. Yeah, you can relate, huh? You know some people like that? They're persistent. Isn't it interesting that God makes her the hero of that? Okay, well, let's, let's pick it up, verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, I'm going to pause right there for a second. Because that word speedily to me is like, like right now, it's like the microwave effect. And yet when you're talking to a God who is eternal, 
Well, speedily is a different timetable. Look what he says. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What was the point of the parable? The point of the parable was, I'm looking to see our people praying. Do they give up? Do they peter out, poop out, whatever the right slang is for you, give up? Look what he measures it with. He measures it with the essence of faith. Will he find faith? In other words, will he find a people called by his name still seeking him even though their petitions seem to be delayed or unanswered? Kind of leaves you scratch your head, huh? I want to I wanna pause and I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 for a minute because... <clears throat> The Lord was gracious to me many years ago. I uh, entered ministry, and uh, I had two years as a staff position of a church in Houston, and then the district had came to me, and they said, hey, we have this church in Fort Worth. We'd love you to be the senior pastor. And I said, yes, as a 25-year-old, I don't know what I was thinking, clearly not, not of my right mind. And in three and a half years, it was a disaster. I left the church of 60 years closed, and I concluded I wasn't a pastor. I also have to admit that I was pretty ticked at God. Why? Well, the prayer piece, the whole prayer and the whole petitioning and the things I was asking and, and doing and, and everything went awire. Everything blew apart. Everything went bad. And I pretty much washed my hands. I said, I, I, clearly, I'm not a pastor. And I went back to the farm. And I got to tell you that the, uh, here, one, of, one of the things that was happening is that the church didn't really take care of us. So as a family of five, we were getting paid $13,000 a year. We were living on government stamps and things of that nature, trying to make it work. And I was ticked. We had a baby born. There were two, two ear surgeries done. We had three transmissions go out in the van. There was just thing after thing after thing after consumed. I literally left Fort Worth, Texas after giving three and a half years of my life to serve Jesus with $33,000 of the personal debt. Do you think it's possible to lose heart in prayer? Uh, yes. So I'm ticked at God, and I'm like, well, if this is what it is to serve you, I think I can do better on my own. That was the attitude. Terrifying, right? Well, that was the fall, and I went back to the farm, helped farm that fall harvest, then our harvest was done, there's nothing to do on a farm, and so I got a job at Walmart selling Christmas trees. And then on the week of Christmas, my mother and father sat me down and said, yeah, you need to leave. <laughs> so my wife and I, with our three kids, packed up a U-Haul in that stupid van again and pulled a trailer to Houston on Christmas Eve. And we got as far as Wichita, and the transmission went out again. And the child was extremely sick, 
spent the night three days in Wichita, finally got to Houston, and the next two and a half years were again God being silent and living with my mother-in-law. And quite frankly, she's an incredible woman of God. And if it wasn't for her allowing us to live at her house and her feeding us, it wouldn't have worked. Because, you know, I told God I could do better without him. (laughs) So the next year I made (laughs) $8,000. Don't ever tell God that you can do better without him. It won't work. He'll show you that. I was driving, I was selling books to daycare centers. I know, it's, you get desperate. Driving around Houston, Texas, I'm, I got to tell you, I'm ticked. I am not happy with God, and I'm telling him about it. I know, is this it? I don't need you. Is this what it is about living for you? Lose heart? Yeah, I lost heart, all right. I was at the bottom of the barrel going, like, yeah, I... I You are completely gone. You ever had a day like that? It's best to be honest with God. And so as I was expressing my anger with him, and language we can use in church on a Sunday morning with (laughs) others listening, the small, still voice of the Lord, as I said, I don't need you, I hear him whisper, What are you going to do about your sin issue? And for three more days, I was additionally ticked because I knew the only issue to solve my sin issue was him. And at the end of three days, I came to the end of myself and said, all right, okay, I I do need you for the sin issue. (coughs) And he started to crush and break. And, and I got to tell you, that three-year period, no, the, the prayer, I, I, I tried to have these devotions, and they were very, very um, mechanical. They were systematic. They were, they were there, but, but God was silent. Three years of silence. And in the margin of my book, it was February 27th of 1993. Where the Lord gave me and spoke. And it was Deuteronomy chapter 8. Start reading along with me in verse 1. The whole commandment that I've commanded you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way of the Lord and how he has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. Testing. Testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And just, just pause. What, what happened during that three-year period and his silence was to find out my faith. Here, here's the deal. God wasn't wondering, well, I wonder what his faith is. Let's test it. God already knew it. He needed to show it to me. And in order for him to reveal it to me, there were three years of him being silent and the absolute everything around me falling apart and crushing. There's a verse in Job where Job said, everything I do fails. That's paraphrased. And that that was like my verse during those three weeks. I couldn't do anything. 
No matter what I did, it failed. He says, I'm testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing didn't wear out. Your foot didn't swell the 40 years. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you. I want to just pause on the word discipline because discipline, sometimes I think we think it in uh, a harsh way, a way where it's, it's um, because we were naughty. I had a, I had a father uh, and a mother who were high, highly disciplined. I mean, I think from seven to nine years old, I got spanked every day because maybe I lied just in case. It just seemed like that. It probably isn't really true, but that seems how it went. <clears throat> so when the Lord disciplines, it's harsh. So in Hebrews chapter 12, I want, I want to just draw your attention to a couple of verses here. I'm going to start in verse 6 of the 12th chapter of Hebrews. Again, this is the ESV. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. Should I read that one slower? I don't want you to miss that word, endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Whoa, 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 time out. American Christianity says, if you love Jesus and Jesus loves you, you got no issues, you got no problems. Biblical Christianity says if God loves you, he's going to discipline you. Now, put the right word discipline in your head. I played high school basketball. The coach disciplined us. What does that mean? That means we ran lines. Because we were wrong? Because we were bad? No. He was preparing us for a game. And when we were tired and vomiting, he said, get back on the line and go again. And we're like, you've got to be kidding. How many lines do we have to run? Let's just play basketball. And he disciplined us as a coach who disciplined us. And when we got into the game in the fourth quarter, we always outran every other team. Why? Because he disciplined us. This is the, this is the word that is used here. Because he loves you, he disciplines you so that when the game of life starts to unfold, you're prepared. You can do it. Why? Because he loves you. You're his son. Endure. That's the word there that's being used, to endure. So let's pick it up at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. By this we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. He disciplines us for our good. He disciplines... Did I say that twice? I wanted you to make sure that you, you heard that. He disciplines us for what? He disciplines you for what? He disciplines you for your good. Now, pay attention to the next words, though. That 
we may share in his holiness. Why does he do it? So that you get a share in his holiness. Verse 11 is important. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. And there's no amen on that? <laughs> I mean, y'all be on your feet. Like, yeah, amen! Yeah, I guess so. It's painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, not to everybody, but to those who have been trained by it. There were some on my basketball team who refused to be trained by it, and they usually didn't find themselves playing in the fourth quarter. Because the Lord loves you, he will discipline you. You will have chaos in your life. You will have disappointments and heartache and pain and frustration. What will your faith be? Will you lose heart? When he returns, will he find faith on the earth? What's faith? Well, faith is always the response of obedience to the word of God. And he measures that to prayer. I hope that you're being trained for. How much time do I have? <laughs> I, I didn't pay attention to that clock when I know you told me 30 minutes. And see, because I'm making up the sermon as we go, I have to know. <laughs> Let's go back to Luke 18. Luke 18. Here is this parable of an unrighteous judge, doesn't care about anybody but himself, yet he demonstrates justice because of the pestering. Now, God doesn't respond to us because we pester him. In fact, it says he loves us, and because he loves us, he does respond, but he will always respond to what he sees is best. And the faith that is connected to it is not because of what we want. It's because of we finally adjust to what he wants. And so when we are praying, the safest thing we can do is to say, what, what is your will? What do you want? Give me ears to hear what you're saying and to adjust. In Romans chapter 8, and talks about how the Spirit intercedes on our behalf and prays for the saints. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I absolutely love that because in the moment of being disciplined, when the pain is so intense, it feels like he doesn't care. It feels like he doesn't love. It feels like he's not listening. I have a four-year-old granddaughter. Beautiful thing. And she's working on the, we, we got this tykes slide and play thing. And she's working at it and, and, and gets frustrated, lose heart, frustrated with things. And I'm right there behind her. And if she would simply turn and pay attention to what's going on, help is there. Now, whether I help or not is determined about whether I actually want her to learn what she's trying to accomplish. If I don't want her to learn, I'll short-circuit it and do it for her. If I want her to learn, I'm there to catch her, but she needs to figure it out. And the father 
wants us to learn not to lose heart in prayer, but to continue to discover how to sit into his presence and listen to his heart, to examine the scriptures. What what is his heart? What is his passion? What does he want me to do? How does he want me to respond? And the heavenly father disciplines us and those who are trained by it Enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I want you to close your eyes, bow your head. I want to lead you through a conversation that you're going to have in your, in your own head. You and Jesus have a conversation. Have you lost heart? Your prayer life is a direct reflection of how much faith you have. If you have faith that the eternal sovereign God loves you and has it in his hands, prayer flows. But if you lose heart, you kind of give up talking to him about it and you go try to figure it out yourself. And so what I want to really encourage you to do this morning is if it's a confession, is to say, Lord, I've lost heart. I I kind of gave up on you. It seems like you weren't caring. You weren't paying attention. You're not seeing what's going on here. I'm trying to do this on my own. Please forgive me. And then it's the petition to say, oh, Holy Spirit, give me ears to hear what you're saying. Give me the passion to seek you earnestly, genuinely, not mechanically, but to encounter you that I can be trained by this. Not for my glory, but for your glory. That's an important part of the prayer. So many times we strive for our peace, our happiness, externally speaking. Father, it is in Jesus' name that I'm grateful for your kids, and I ask that really your word would become so alive. Even this week, may this text just echo in their mind May they be quick to turn back and re-examine what you're saying. And may the Holy Spirit whisper into their spirit words of life and grace and peace. You truly are a loving God, and yet I will be the first to say, there are times it just doesn't feel like it. So forgive me when I think that feelings matter about how much you love me. And recognize that your word says... You loved me while I was yet a sinner. And to believe that. So even though I don't always feel that, I make a choice this morning to believe that even when I'm off track, even when I'm doing my own thing, even when I lose heart in prayer, your love still abounds greater than that. May your grace and mercy fall upon us. May we be a people that live out a redeemed life 
by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.